1: So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry.
0: I'm an exercise physiology and a nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
1: And this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, from Strength Guild, um, amongst other things. So, come to the new forum, theironforum.com. Be a nice.
2: part of us. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, uh, Associate Professor at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flux Diet, CERT, and back in uh, Sub-Zero, Minnesota, from Costa Rica. So, only about a 95 degree temperature difference. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs>
1: it got cold here all of a sudden today. We're, like, going to be in the teens for the next week. For oh, our Yeah, so, it's like, we'll Tis- see Tis- seven degrees today. Mm, that's cold for you guys, though. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It is. yeah.
0: All right. Um, Everybody, we have some, you know, the usual roundup of mail and news. And then after the break, we're just going to talk about the call of muscle sports. Why, you know, people do it. Is it for community? Is it their natural talent? Is it, you know, you just go to a powerlifting meet and you're instantly inspired. You're like that. That's it. So we'll talk about that because I do feel like it's probably a little bit different than the way people get into uh, collegiate sports or higher, to be honest. Um, and yeah, it can be at that level or even higher, of course. So let's start with some, uh, questions. I, I'm going to pose one to Mike and I know Phil, you got some from the forums, of course. Yep. Um, Mike, the question for you, uh, came from a gentleman who said, uh, I'm just bombarded with ads for all these quote unquote new plant proteins and how superior they are to meat and get rid of your meat and, um look i'm a vegetarian how buff i am and you know we've touched on this sort of thing on the show before probably but uh, what would you say to him because he said you know these people are really convincing and i want an educated opinion you know that that plant proteins really are superior and i need to make a
2: wholesale switch Mm -hmm. i always ask him like well send me your data (laughs) (laughs) they usually get really quiet pretty fast but um Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any data so far that plant proteins are superior to some meat proteins or especially like a whey protein. Um, If you get a high enough dose or you start doing some fancy combining of different types of plant proteins to try to optimize the amino acid profile and leucine content, you can get some that I think are equivalent. There's been a few studies showing that Like a rice protein, if you take about 40 gram dose of a supplement uh, compared to a 20 gram dose of whey protein, you get, you know, about the same response. Mm -hmm. Um, The downside of plant proteins is if you're using just one in isolation and you're using a smaller amount and assuming they haven't added other extra amino acids to it. Good point. uh, Usually your response is going to be a little bit less. Uh, and this is based on, you know, acute studies of what's called muscle protein synthesis or muscle protein synthetic response. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what all the, the fuss is about. I, I mean, actually, if someone is a vegetarian or a vegan athlete, it never really has been easier to do that. So if I work with a vegan athlete, my first question is, you know, are you OK using some type of protein supplement? Even if it's a vegan based supplement. And if they're like, yeah, I'm like, oh, cool. This is relatively easy then. Uh, but if they're like, no, yeah, trying to get a lot of protein with only vegan sources, you can do it. It's just a lot of work, a lot of chewing, a lot of fiber, <laughs> a lot of time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't quite understand. I mean, if you're going maybe the en- environmental route, maybe. But even then, that's definitely not my expertise, and there's good arguments on both sides of the fence on that too. So, yeah, I don't understand why the fuss is all that they're superior because I haven't seen any data that supports that. But right. high enough dose, they may be equivalent. In fact, we've seen data to the contrary, right, that the protein quality yes. of most
0: – like you said, unless you try Especially to get very clever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um I believe this guy is getting bombarded because the IFT, right? We've been, (laughs) yeah, we've both been to the Institute of Food Technology meetings. And I mean, think about like the huge surge in impossible burgers and and now all meats are becoming impossible version. um, But that doesn't mean the quality is there. I think the average person, one of the first things that I try to explain is there's complete and incomplete proteins. But even among the complete proteins that have all nine or 10 indispensable aminos, there's quality differences even among those among the complete ones, and like you said, you're not going to be able to beat whey. You know, um, I think whole egg is great. Uh, yep. I just saw a new paper about whole egg being superior to egg white, and uh, not surprised, but we've known that for years because of the, the protein quality scales. You know, uh, but um, okay, so that was one uh, nutrition side. Phil, what a, what's the forums cooking up?
1: um we've got a couple here so this one is from anna um i know this has been covered on the forum but it would be interesting to have a very quick discussion on adaptogens i imagine there are a lot of listeners out there that would benefit but aren't on the forum what are your guys' thoughts on adaptogens Do you want me to go back to the original question
0: on um, the forum? no i think that that pretty much sums it up i did see that okay. one what do you think miguel
2: I mean, there's some data on some adaptogens, rhodiola, ashwagandha. Um, if you look at the data on them, it's definitely still in the single digits. A lot of times it's not purely performance outcome based. Um, and with that, again, like all things, you want to make sure the quality is good. Herbal products in general tend to, I don't want to say you get what you pay for, but even some of the more expensive ones, it may not be super high quality <clears throat> so make sure you check on that um yeah it's one of those interesting categories that's been around for for a while even the term adaptogen is a little bit harder to wrap your head around from a, a more western perspective but uh, a couple of those i think can be useful i mean i would probably even put mushroom extracts as kind of sort of an adaptogen mm-hmm. oh, that's maybe not necessarily true I think on the forum they're talking about, like, cordyceps increase uh, performance. The original cordyceps was actually a fungus off the back of a caterpillar, which you're not really getting that anywhere just because the price is ungodly expensive. Uh, But you can get a similar version, which is actually cordyceps militaris, which is a mushroom. There's some okay-ish data on that in performance, I would say. It's a little bit uh, controversial. Uh, My favorite in terms of mushroom extracts is uh, there's some data on lion's mane, although I'm still trying to track down exactly what dose that translates to after it's been concentrated actually in humans. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly for more brain development, uh, increasing potentially BDNF, so brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is kind of like brain fertilizer to help with uh, growing possibly new nerve pathways. And then for traveling and people under like a heavy load or if you're doing a run of really pushing volume or athletes that are changing time zones, uh, I do like reishi extract. Uh, It's very, very bitter. So getting in a capsule is probably a good idea. Uh, There's some pretty good data on that in terms of immune system and function. Uh, Caveat with that, there's a study published in Nature showing that a lot of the mushroom extracts that they tested were basically crap. (laughs) So... You want to make sure to do your homework on that. uh, Ask them for actual data. Uh, Last part, too, is that if you look at mushroom extracts, (laughs) the fruiting body, kind of the top portion of the mushroom, it has more beneficial data on it compared to the myceliar or the bottom root structure. A lot of, unfortunately, mushrooms grown in the U.S. that have all the nice labels of organic and made in the U.S., yeah, they're probably a myceliar portion that they actually sprout on grain, and then they just grind all of it up and put it in a supplement. So again, you want to make sure that you know what you're actually buying. You can always call the manufacturer, ask them for details on that too. So as an adjunct, I think it's helpful. You know, but again, you're still talking about single digit percentages and if the rest of your life is a you know trash bin fire, you know, <laughs> adding adaptogens are not gonna save you. Yeah. So <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded of that quote from
0: was it Rogue One, the movie? I find your argument Vague and unconvincing, the robot says. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole concept of um, not mushrooms, and I'm actually very interested. We, listeners know we're all interested in that. There's some very cool sort of myco-nutrition stuff. Um, oh, definitely. But Beta-glucan and, yeah, and everything else. Yeah. The lion's mane and, like, uh, nootropic kinds of things, very cool, I think. Um, but as far as the general definition uh, I just find it vague, like oh, this is going to help you just adapt to all stressors. You know, I I first started reading about this stuff probably twenty years ago in like, you know, like Eastern Bloc journals, Russian journals, and, oh, yeah. and I want more specific. I mean, uh, I I feel like science is reductionist for a reason, and if you're just kind of saying this just kind of helps you overcome any stressor, and yeah, well, you know, like you said, I just don't think there's a lot, uh, there's enough out there for me to spend my hard-earned dollars on on ginseng as a supplement that i know people feel very strongly about it and you know what if if it's actually changing um your outcomes in some way good on you but yeah i think there's a lot other categories of stuff i'd probably be focusing on
2: yeah and as an end of one i've (coughs) tested a bunch of them i've had clients test a bunch of them and looking at their heart rate variability you know to see if there's any impact on it and It's pretty hit or miss. Like some people, for whatever reason, again, could be placebo, seem to respond a little bit better and that their HRV is a little bit more stable, especially if we do higher training volumes and things of that nature. Um, Other people, meh, didn't really notice any difference either. Um, I've actually tried to track down some of the (laughs) Russian literature and some of the people who worked with a lot of those athletes and what they use. And even the people that I kind of trust in that area, which is like literally three people, (laughs) um they'll tell you that yeah it's a small effect it's only used at specific times during training blocks um but they're also working with high level elite athletes and for them you know one percent difference is Mm freaking massive you know and they're controlling a lot of other variables too Uh, but even then you know what they told me is that they don't use them you know year-round all the time either they still use them for very specific uses too so yeah
1: Um. next part of the question, what is the best way to estimate your sodium needs?
0: Oh, good Lord.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a tough one.
0: (laughs) Well, you know what? Let me start with this Uh, because I've had students ask me this, you don't look at blood levels. (laughs) This stuff is tight, right? Tightly regulated. And I think we get used to looking at vitamin D and other things. Oh, we'll look at 25 hydroxy D and look at our vitamin D status or glucose or almost whatever else, right? The levels in your blood reflect intake. Sodium, not so. So you, you don't start there like, don't look at your blood work and be like, oh, my sodium is high or low. Well, then you've got hormonal and other problems, right? This is It's not the way you really look at sodium adequacy.
2: Um, What do you think, Mike? I mean, what I do with athletes and people is I look at their nutrition log and chronometer. I like chronometer. I don't like my fitness pal, but and see where they're at. I mean, in general, if you're eating, you know, whole foods and not living out of stuff out of a a can, like you're in a bomb shelter somewhere, then Mm -hmm. you're probably not getting a lot of sodium. Uh, I always ask them, you know, how much salt do you add to your food? Do you salt to taste? Do you add a little bit more? What type of sodium do you use? You know, and from there, we can get an approximate amount. Uh, What I find is most athletes eating, you know, real food, not a lot of processed food. They tend to be low. So Mm -hmm. I'll actually tell them, okay, salt your food till taste. We'll kind of watch your performance, see how that goes, increase your fluid intake. And even behind after that assuming they're not exercising in a super hot environment or something like that, I just have them add more. Like I yeah. use the Elman packets that have you know, about 1,000 milligrams of sodium. You've had those guys on the program here before. And in general, at some point, they just, their performance goes up and they feel better. Uh, I just had an athlete that reported big gains with that a couple of weeks ago. So if they're healthy, they don't have any high blood pressure. They don't have any other risk factors. I'm not worried about going too high with it as long as they have enough fluid intake. I find most of those athletes probably don't consume enough sodium and fluid. Um, however, if you're talking about general population, it's almost the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you're eating so much processed food, you're not really exercising, you're not sweating, you're not losing it. You probably just need to drink a lot more water and not worry yeah. about it as much. If anything, you know, switch some of your processed foods for more real foods. Right.
0: I mean salt to taste is a interesting way to look at it. I would only ever look at sodium intake if somebody maybe they're on a very specific like you said just completely unprocessed super yeah. heavy fruit and veg diet or you know if they've got certain symptoms of hyponatremia or something. I mean the feds want you to Actually, suggest that you should only have about twenty three hundred. It depends on on the guidelines you look at milligrams a day. The average American is going to eat, oh my god, at least double that probably. Um, but again, yeah. that's Gen Pop versus our people who are sweating or on ketogenic diets or or that kind of stuff. Uh, the old literature that I've read suggests that the actual need for sodium may be as low as five hundred milligrams a day. But again, that you're talking about just not people training their ass off in a hot sweaty gym for three hours. You know.
1: Yeah, and then we get back to the old thing of need versus optimal.
0: Right. You're right. You know? Yeah. So, okay.
1: so, more than enough to survive. I want enough to kick ass. Mm hmm. Yeah. And
2: mm-hmm. so, I look at the risk versus reward. If you know, someone doesn't have high blood pressure, they're healthy, they're eating real food, they're sweating, I'm not too worried about them probably taking in too much, but I've seen people underperform by not taking in enough. Especially if you add in, they're doing maybe one or two low-carb days per week or a ketogenic diet or fasting, things like that where all of a sudden, especially on a day of fasting, you're just probably not taking in any sodium. And if you're exercising, you're going to be losing glycogen, you're going to be losing fluid. I find even just adding more on those days is beneficial. That's probably only getting you back to just where you were before anyway. It's not like you're going super high. Mm
0: -hmm. My only concern here is I think a fair number – of large mammals are hypertensive. They are mildly hypertensive. Mm -hmm. Um, I am actually, my blood pressure is almost in that mild hypertensive range. My brother has very high blood pressure. He's on meds for it and everything. And I do seem to be sodium sensitive, right? About a third to a half of the public is genetically sodium sensitive. Not everybody is sodium sensitive, which is an interesting point. It's one of those nutrigenetic things, right? But um, I would say, be careful. I think sometimes we're too, uh, we like the counterculture, oh, go eat sodium, you know, yeah. you're a hard <laughs> ass, and, well, yeah, I, on some level, that's actually true, because you're sweating in a hot environment, and all that kind of stuff, uh, and if your diet is very, very strict, and you're not getting much sodium, uh, but, I, yeah, always keep in mind, I, I'm i likely, at least, to be sodium sensitive, as far as blood pressure goes, and I, I don't think, unless you're in, like, what Phil will often say, that category of, I don't Give a shit if I'm hypertensive or not. I, it makes me feel better in the gym, and I've got a meat to crush. Well, mm-hmm. that's your choice then, right? But, yep. but high blood pressure, I got to tell you, it's an insidious thing because you don't necessarily feel it. And when I worked on the transplant floor, floor at the Cleveland Clinic years ago just as an intern, so many people were there, congestive heart failure or they needed a kidney because high blood pressure can – it takes a toll. It does take yeah. a toll. So you just have to balance this stuff out, I guess.
2: Yeah. No, I think that's an excellent point. I, I got this from my buddy Luke Lehman at Muscle Nerds of, you know, everyone should, at least on occasion, buy an Omron device to measure blood pressure for like 70 bucks off of Amazon. You don't even have to know how to do it anymore. You stick the thing on and take a few readings. It's not that hard to do. Mm-hmm. And knowing resting heart rate and other cardiac markers is, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Yep.
1: Maybe one more Back Phil? Part. Yep. On the this is on the lighter note. What are the five hardest exercises? Exercises being open or hardest being open to interpretation. Oof. I'll Why don't start. You it start? Out. Yeah. Good mornings with a safety squat bar. <laughs> oh, those suck. horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just the safety squat bar sucks, but then doing good mornings with them is even worse. Mm, yeah. Um, the ab wheel. That Evil device just has a way of making you sore shit no matter what. Evil. <laughs> so, <laughs> um I'm not saying these are bad. Like I'm, my interpretation is literally just they're hard, but that could be good. So um 'cause that's like one of my favorites, the ab wheel. But mm-hmm. I always have to still test it out, like once a year I'll just grab the ab wheel and make sure I can still do one on my toes. Everybody at the gym like, Oh okay, yeah, he that's can still good. do it. I'm like, okay, I don't have to do it anymore. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>
0: still got it. <laughs>
1: still got it. So. Yeah. Um five's hard. Uh I don't know, you guys got any?
0: I think for me high rep squats are brutal. I mean, yeah, like are. 20 rep yeah. squats when I say high rep, I mean like 20 cuz your low back starts to go, you know. I mean, um uh at least mine always did. Maybe some people, if they're doing a lot of good mornings and stuff, they're more immune to that, but high rep squats, I think are, they really kind of suck. I mean, all you have to do is watch Arnold talking and pumping iron. Like it's really hard to do that. You know, um, watch Ed Corney collapse, you know,
2: on film. And that's, that will come to my mind. I think. Yeah. A couple that come to my mind are, uh, zurchers, especially doing them off the floor where you have to basically set them on your quads and get your arms under and stand up. That's a, Interesting. <laughs> uh Thick bar work, even just going to a two inch or two and a half inch diameter, like changes everything because now your grip yeah. usually becomes a limiter. Frustrating. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty much anything on the evil device they call a Concept 2 rower, especially the 500 meter, 2K, that kind of stuff is super useful. Not much fun. And then I would probably add something in like a yoke walk where you look at it, and you're like, well, oh, that's not that hard. You're only picking up a couple inches. Yeah. And then you try to walk with it, and you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. yeah, that can make you sore all over. I did a... Uh, we got a, a neat idea to do a 1,000-pound yoke walk once, and holy oh, no. shit, like, everything hurt. Everything from mm-hmm. the shoulders down. It was just aching, and it was all in my joints. It wasn't muscul- It wasn't like, oh, that's a good muscular sore. No, my... No. Every joint <laughs> just was screaming for, like, four days. <laughs> So,
2: yeah, forget. And I've only done a handful of times. I'm like, this is stupid. But just (laughs) how much balance is involved with it? Because you pick it up at first. And I only did one. that was only 450. I'm like, oh, this is easy. And then I took a step. I was like, what the hell? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Movement changes it. Yeah. Anything that
0: beats up your joints more than your muscle bellies. Yeah. It it does make you wonder, was that worth it? Like, maybe, maybe it was. But oftentimes, it's not
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah i went to an, another version i like better is <clears throat> take a, like an axle bar or just a normal bar put it in a Zercher position and then take bands and hang like kettlebells or weights off the end and then try to walk with it yeah. it's not super heavy so it's not really beating <laughs> up your joints that much but man that thing wants to go every other direction other than mm-hmm. forward so just through your whole core and just your body and every joint, you can you can feel it in a better way. It doesn't feel like it's trying to crush your joints into dust. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, you know, I should also include. I know this is
0: just a more of an isolation thing, but I, I call them profanity curls for a reason. But when you do, you grab some, you know, like 40 pound dumbbells. You get on a, a incline bench and you just do four count negatives. Um, and then when you go to failure. Your partner helps you get the dumbbells back up near your shoulders. Remember, you're in a stretched position. Your ha- arms are hanging back down toward the ground, uh, and that, well, man, you're just like, if this full oh god, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's just a small muscle group. I get it. You know, it's nothing like a high rep squat. But as far as that, like kind of burning and fighting through and challenge
2: yourself, oh, wow, that mm-hmm. k- kind of sucks. Even like isolation stuff for high reps. If you're not used to it, it's a weird thing where you get such a local burning, but you're not really that overall fatigued. Mm-hmm. Like if you haven't done it for, I just did this again recently, and I'm like, even on a press down, I'm like, huh. It's like I know I can push a little bit harder, but this doesn't feel good. But it's such a different localized sensation that yeah. I don't know. And yeah. my brain had a hard time wrapping my head around that that was the only reason I was stopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Because it doesn't sound very, you know, tough to be like, oh, my God, no. my
0: biceps are burning. But, you know, it, no, it it'll shut like you doing, down.
2: <laughs> no, it wasn't like doing heavy squats or something like that where you're breathing hard and you feel like you're cardiovascular yeah. limited. It was just that local torched feeling. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah.
0: OK, Um, we are almost at uh, the mid mark. So I just, I'm going to jam through two things that are related. I have two papers here. These are spanking new things. Strength and Muscle Sport News. The first one jumped to my mind because back in 01, down in Memphis, uh, I was at an American Society of Exercise Physiologists meeting presenting some data about what happens to creatine kinase and other damage markers if you just keep doing the eccentric exercise, right? And so we saw a big fall in CK from about one to about two, It fell a little bit after that, but kind of leveled off. And this new paper, this is a full paper, though. um, And it's sort of saying the same thing in a lot of ways. This is Lindsay Angus. Muscle strength does not adapt from a second to third bout of eccentric contractions. A systematic review and meta-analysis of the repeated bout effect. So uh, Priscilla Clarkson's lab sometimes would call this the armor plating effect. And we've talked about this before. And I think what they, their conclusion they make is, it's one of those things, it might be a little obvious to fill, like, you, you know, you can, just can't endlessly become more resistant to all soreness, you know, because what do we do? We add more weight, or we do more negatives, or, or what if we change something. But here it says, um, the greatest muscle strength adaptations to repeat bouts of eccentric contractions occur after the initial injury, right, micro injury, not like, tears not macro tears with little to no change in subsequent bouts uh however because of the disparity in different injury models it's it's unknown whether three or more bouts provide further adaptation right further protection so like so many studies these days they're going to you know do systematic reviews because of the you know, pandemic and everything i think playing part of this mm-hmm. it's easier just to go look at what's already out there and kind of synthesize it but so they looked over uh, MEDLINE and other databases uh, between May and September 2019. So this is uh, newer stuff. 11 studies uh, with 72 humans, 48 mice, and 11 rabbits were in their inclusion <laughs> criteria. It's Interesting. Uh, yeah, negatives. All rabbits, yeah. <laughs> you can picture that, huh? Um, the results indicate that a third bout of skeletal muscle eccentric exercise does not – and I'll insert the word – further improve indices of weakness, right, or strength loss um, or the rate of strength recovery compared to the second bout. So this sort of reinforces what we've suggested before, and Mike, you remember that book, that Enhancing Recovery book, Kelman and mm-hmm. Kenton, and a lot of those guys. I'm always pointing at that, but um, – I believe it was there that I saw the suggestion that maybe if you're going to head into a brutal season and you've been really off for a while, do a, specifically do a protective iron plating kind of bout. Get in, you know, your maybe 40 reps of negatives. Depends on the movement, of course, but get good and sore, and then head into your training, you know, uh, preseason, if you will, or ramp up more or less armor plated. It just makes sense, right? Because then you can focus more on strength, and you don't have to worry about that. Fifteen percent or so drop uh, in strength because your you know z lines are smeared and your sarcomeres are wrecked. Uh, I, again, this is more about the strength itself, uh, and yeah, what we had presented data on like twenty years ago uh, in Memphis was just on the CK response. But the repeated bout effect it is an interesting thing, and yeah, Phil, I'm sure that you're not going to see this like continue. People just get more and more and more protected. Like most of the protection you know, like no longer sore from that, um, happens the first time around probably.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's a good, uh, indicator for me in like some of the stuff I do. Um, like if we're changing moves, like generally, let's say I'm changing a main move, I'll do it in three week blocks because I always see like week number one, it's like, Hey, let's just get used to this move again. Um, week two, let's push it a little harder week three, let's push it hard now. And then let's move on. Um, anything past that we it kind of gets redundant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and we'll do, I'd rather just come back to it in, you know, 10 weeks or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and when I'm talking changes, it's small, you know, I don't do huge changes, but you know, it might be from pause squat to box squat and, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> just little Little tiny little changes, but right. we keep things pretty basic, but yeah.
0: I remember Corey Everson. I think it was, you know, she had big legs, her quads, uh, her thighs were about the size of her frickin' waist. Um, and I think it was her who used to say, I will, if I feel completely adapted to whatever I'm doing, eccentric work, you know, negatives or otherwise, she would do what you just said. I'll take a couple of months off and revisit it because I enjoy that soreness because that tells me there's remodeling and growth, you know, and I'm guessing probably without even realizing it that few months later, something was different about that, that same quote unquote, same bout, you know, Yep. so anything, you know, about this, Mike, that you want to share or,
2: uh, I mean, I've done that beforehand. I mean, I had to do this, uh, crazy exercise set up in costa rica a year ago and i was kiteboarding beforehand and literally had like 10 days to train for it (laughs) so i didn't really train for it but i did enough of the exercises with long eccentrics like probably around two to three times during that 10 weeks and my thought process was similar to what you guys talked about is if i can just do that enough it's you know i've only got 10 days i'm not going to increase my performance on it um, however, if I can do that, I hopefully won't be as sore so I can move around and not be like destroyed for two weeks after yeah. and yeah, it went okay. I wasn't too sore after I did that before some kiteboarding stuff too. Just thinking like now in my training, I'll add some more, I wouldn't say plyometrics, but just drop jumps and just simple impact stuff too. So maybe get my body a little bit more ready for that, add some longer eccentric-type squats in with more of a narrow stance to try to stimulate a little bit more maybe soft tissue or just recovery in case I have to take a hard impact. Maybe I'm a little bit more prepared to handle that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think practical tip here, um, this is
0: great for off-season gains, if you will, right? Obviously, if you're a competitive athlete, I mean, why do people taper? Partly yeah. because, you know, you don't want to have that 5 or 10 or 15% weakness because of eccentric stuff. When I used to do competitive martial arts, always at practice, my legs were wrecked, wrecked. And, and then when I would taper before I went to a tournament, wow, things felt a lot different, you know. Uh, and so that was kind of gratifying that you're – I mean, when you're 15% stronger, <laughs> you're just better almost at anything, you know. So I would be careful doing this mid-season if you're a team athlete or anything, but it's obviously negatives are great for you know growth, satellite cell activation, and all that stuff. Uh, I'm going to jam through this last one here. Spanking new. This is again from Carmen Leach. She's just a superstar. I think we're going to try to get her on the show. Um, this is from February of this year. I mean, so literally days old. Muscle cells can block inflammation when exercised. Now, this is interesting, right? Mm. Because we're talking about all this inflammation that you can clearly see and feel after you do eccentric work. But we all know also that chronically, over weeks and months, exercise has an anti inflammatory systemic effect, right? You're just less inflamed, but it's hard to tease this out. So here we go inflammation can be a crucial process. The body needs to heal injuries and prevent infection. But inflammatory processes, of course, have to be carefully regulated. Um, they can cause serious illness and even death, like in the case of sepsis or cytokine storms. And of course, we hear about cytokine storms a lot with the whole, you know, um, COVID thing. Uh, researchers have now found that human muscle cells are able to prevent the negative impacts of chronic inflammation when they are exercised, as reported in Science Advances. Uh, now, they used a very specific model. This isn't like what we're talking about doing blood draws or strength tests on training humans here but it says we know that chronic inflammatory diseases induce muscle atrophy that might get your attention Um, but we wanted to see if the same thing would happen uh, in some engineered human muscles basically that they grew in a petri dish and this was uh, stated by study author zhao wei chen Um, we showed that exercising muscle cells can directly counter this pro-inflammatory signaling independent of the presence of other cell types or tissues. So basically, you're, you insult your muscles. They say, hey, what was that, buddy? Right? And just like this uh, armor plating effect, uh, maybe they're ready next time right, with some anti-inflammatory processes. So they use this engineered muscle platform that mimicked the effects of chronic inflammation. It says, surprisingly, they determined that the detrimental impact of chronic inflammation was almost totally prevented when they basically, quote-unquote, exercised uh, this muscle tissue. It says, when exercising muscle cells themselves were directly opposing the pro-inflammatory signal induced by interferon gamma, which we did not expect to see happen, said Bursack. Uh, There are notions out there that optimal levels and regimes of exercise could fight chronic inflammation. You know, think sarcopenia. This isn't just, you know, tendonitis, for example, (laughs) Lots of inflammatory chronic diseases out there while not overstressing the cells. So, again, kind of back to a mechanism here uh, behind the armor plating thing, maybe, or the anti inflammatory effects. It does make me wonder, and this is total, you know, reckless speculation, but would somebody who exercises regularly, are they more resistant to, I don't know, a cytokine storm, for example? I'm sure there's a lot of genetic and other issues at work there, diet and, and other things. But, um, you know, th- this is kind of suggestive. It's sort of, a, again, a mechanism that they try to get real reductionist and look down nitty-gritty. How is it that exercise prevents, like, a systemic inflammation and the role of muscle plays, right? I don't think I've ever seen anything, Mike, maybe you have, on, you know, what's muscle's contribution to whole body inflammation? I mean, such a huge portion of our body is muscle, right?
2: I haven't seen too much on that. I mean, my guess is probably similar to what looking at different myokine regulators is probably beneficial, but I can't point anything directly on yeah. that. Yeah, There's, I haven't seen data about taking this
0: idea and specifically employing exercise just to be anti-inflammatory, you know, like on a whole body level. Maybe even helping downstream with some other organ system or something. Okay, so that's a little bit of stuff about... Sore muscles, inflamed muscles. Let's go to break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about muscle sports and why they are a calling for some people.
1: Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, "Why You Should Need Key Belt." I don't do it because, I mean, look at me, come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the uh, Keto eBook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now!
0: Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman 7 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast Airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test. In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? All right, everybody, we're back. It's Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about muscle and strength sports, why they're a calling for some people. Uh, We touched on this before a little bit. I mean, Tom Platt's would go on a lot about, you know, almost a calling like a priest. Like when you see something, you're just like, that's me. Like, that's it, you know. Uh, And there are some things in life, I think, that are like that. And for some people, that's true. So there's a lot of things to consider here, right? Well, like what are your natural talents or lack of talents? Um, Is it just about, you like the growth, personal growth, that strength sports, they just so obviously emphasize, you know, that you're changing. Or some people might do it for the sense of community or even the aesthetics of it. You know, I was sort of like that Frank Zane. I know it sounds cheesy, but I was about like the sculpting thing and, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm not formally trained in art like Phil, but that's like, Something that, you know, is important to me. Uh, and it is funny how it can get a hold of you and become a calling. Some people just go, you know, they're in that warrior mode and they need the venting of, like, they're just an aggressive personality and it's a positive way to vent. Uh, you know, attack some heavy weights kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what, what about you personally, Phil? What do, what do you think? And then maybe your, your, you know, people on your team.
1: God, for me, I don't know. I always like sports. And I've heard other people talk about this. The problem with, with team sports is uh, I'm a pretty fired up person. When, when I do something, I want to do it well. And if you end up being on a team where not everybody is at that same focus level, it can be very frustrating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas moving to individual strength sports, I had nobody to blame but me. Like, you mm-hmm. just work harder or you don't. Mm-hmm. And you lose, it's your fault. You know, And I liked that aspect of it. Um, and I don't know. There's really something about this. And I've thought about it a lot. I've written about it. This endless battle with gravity—like I will never win—and there's something about that I like. No matter what, I can always put another little two and a half pound plate on the bar, and I just lost. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm, and there's, mm-hmm. like there's no end. I li- i love this fact that there's literally just no end to to just trying more. I can never win, oh. and there's something about that I like. You know, and that just makes seeing sense. how far I can take it. Right. Like so.
0: I mean we the adversary. Gravity.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I'll never. I'm sorry. I lost again. You know, even when I win, it I did. <laughs> right.
0: Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I still
1: only took a portion of what gravity has to give. So um, that was a big one for me. I mean. Yeah, that's good. That's
0: that's things. real good. Uh, I still want to have T-shirts made that, you know, Iron Radio, the opponents of gravity. I don't want to say the enemies of gravity because Gravity is not your enemy, right? It's your no, sparring it. partner, and yeah. and she's always going to win. <laughs> yep, yep. At, at some point, um, yep. how about you, Mike? I mean, from personal talent to a sense of community or an, an outlet, or what drew you into into strength stuff?
2: I mean, when I started, probably like most guys. I mean, I was a uh, six foot three, as Phil would say, a eel shaped rake at a uh, hundred and fifty six pounds. This is actually going into college, so whatever growth spurt I had didn't, nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> no. So basically, just you know, for more of an aesthetics type thing. And you know, in high school, in all honesty, I got crushed by the bar on bench press with like no weight on it, and that was kind of humiliating. And we had to do the old school. Um, presidential fitness test i'm sure you guys remember that which in theory is a good idea if you showed people how to train and how to get better at it but all we did was just administer the test and the kids that were great were like oh that's wonderful people like me who sucked it was just like you did not want i did not want to go to you know high school those days Mm -hmm. the worst one was the pull-up test where he's like okay get up there i'm hanging from the bar and he's like okay you can start now i'm like i I am starting. Like, <laughs> you haven't moved at all. I'm like, that's all I can do. <laughs> so probably for those reasons. And then over time, you you realize that it's just I like kind of the objective nature. And I got much better once I stopped trying to compare myself to everybody else mm-hmm. and just realize, OK, so, yep. Oh, wow. I did 95 pounds on a bench press now. Oh, cool. I remember the first time I ever did, you know, one thirty five, which was like three years later. You know, I was like, Oh wow, one thirty five, that's great. I get to put the bigger plates on the bar now, you know. So once I realized it was just more of a competition with myself and, and similar to Phil, like for me starting off especially more from an engineering background, it was just and still is kind of it's like the ultimate problem to solve. Right There's just so many variables and so many Mm -hmm. different things, but Mm -hmm. I could do different things and I would have an objective nature to measure. No, you either made it or you didn't, right? You could measure the outcome relatively easy. You didn't need any fancy equipment or anything else. Um, So to me, that's kind of what hooked me was with this huge, massive problem to figure out for my physiology and I can go play around and test it to see what the outcome is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like that. Yeah. The multivariate nature of it is you've always got like 50 balls in the air, sort of like Phil's point about you're never going to completely dominate gravity. You're never going to keep all 50 balls in the air. But can you keep 46 in the air, Yeah, Yeah.
2: (laughs) you know, and make enough progress to get on stage or on a platform? And which one of them is the biggest ball? Like and you'll they yeah. never know. Mm-hmm. It's like should I spend more time here or there, and then mm-hmm. that changes when you get to a certain point. It's like oh yeah, nutrition was a limiting factor. Now it's lifting or it's time or it's sleep or stress management or breathing or you know whatever. It's a it's a never ending list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's even with strengths and weaknesses. You, yeah. you spend all this time. Well, I'm going to concentrate on this. Well, now that's a strength, but you just made something else a weakness by making it a strength. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you just. <laughs> By winning, you just failed at something right. else. Right? Yeah. So
0: you just got that in place, and now you yeah. know there's something else.
2: Yep. Isn't that kind of one of the Louis Simmons sayings? I'll, I'm sure I'll slaughter it, but there's there's always a weak link in the chain. It's just yeah. figuring out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So. Refocusing.
0: I I like what you guys are saying about the solo thing. I really like that sort of lone warrior thing. I I, I mean I played soccer, you know, when I was a kid up through high school, and uh, to your point, Phil. I mean, we had a coach. Um, his role was everybody plays. Well, you can mm-hmm. imagine sometimes we even had one learning disabled guy on the team, and our opponents would ruthlessly drive right past him and just d- destroy us, right? And so uh, the uh, the concept was noble, everybody plays. But then you know you get other people on the team. are talking about remember these are kids. They're like, come on, dude, what are you doing? You know, and it actually yeah. backfired kind of. Yeah. Uh, so I, I also I don't think that's necessarily what. What I had a problem with team sports, really, but um, I think about – I think it was Ernest Hemingway. He said, it's all your own damn fault if you're any good. I love that personal responsibility, right? If you're any Mm -hmm. good, you you can't point to somebody else. Um, I just like that a lot. Plus, I'm at times painfully introverted, and I am not looking for a sense of community. You know, I remember stories Mm -hmm. of Lee Labrada. He'd go in the gym with his headphones on, and he'd be in and out of there in like 60 minutes flat – um but then i can also appreciate that people who are more extroverted and they feel recharged around others i can also appreciate that they would like the sense of community right i'm not down on that i'm just down on mm-hmm. that for me um but yeah there's got i think there's a lot of people drawn for that kind of sense of community too maybe that's how the forums you know the iron forums will yeah. help us um, do a little bit of that. and then even people like me who are the <laughs> the lone warrior kind of thing it's still a way to kind of get involved but even mm-hmm. in the gym, I don't know if, what it's like with if always like this with you, Phil, but for me, I, I like to have my brother and one or two of my training partners in the gym, like for the occasional spot, but not, mm-hmm. not training with me, kind of. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't want somebody going, come on.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. No, that's like I, like I like the environment too, and, but my people know to leave me alone. You know? yeah and well like today is my heavy squat day and, and deadlift day and it's just like okay just leave him alone and when there's a lot of weight on the bar come over there and make sure he doesn't die you know? <laughs> right That's right exactly um but uh i'm also I, I just the majority of my time if we look back it was still spent training alone so like this last month i posted on the forums i've been in or the last two weeks i've been in quarantine uh because i had my, any, my mother in law was living with me and she had COVID, but uh, we're fine. No, none of us got it. And, uh, so I've been going to train alone and you know, I squatted seven twenty-five by myself. I squatted six seventy-five by myself. And it was like, uh, I still have that. And I like knowing I can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just a little more measured in what I do. They're like, oh maybe we won't go seven seventy-five since I'm old. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And wisdom. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I still like having that ability. Like, I, I don't need you. I, I just need me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's, the, that's what drew me to iron in the first place. It was like, it's just me. You know, I got to do this. Nobody can help. Yep. You know? Yep. So.
0: I think also yeah. um, innate talents and whatnot. Like, I don't know if all of our listeners, if you haven't seen, like, Mike is like Viking stock. I'm surprised, Mike, that you didn't like the physical <laughs> fitness test and stuff, you know, because you're a big guy. You can hear he's got a deep voice, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think there are bigger individuals who, if you're not super duper athletic, right? Like I always sucked at like ball tracking, like baseball and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that, all that's going to do is tear down my self esteem. And Phil, you've oh, yeah. mentioned before that powerlifters sometimes are the ones that they might be less, you know, agile or athletic oh, in yeah. that way, like, and it gives them a way to,
1: to dominate. You talked to Ed Cohen about his past, and he was like, I could, he couldn't dribble a basketball. Like, he couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yep. And you're talking about the greatest power left of all time. And, but he found out he could stand in one place and sit down and stand up really well. <laughs> <laughs> and really well. <laughs> so he just found his thing. you know. And there are some people that are that way, and that's okay. I mean, I don't know. It reminds me of, I don't know, you go back in like, Dungeons and Dragons or something. And each character has its own abilities. And he found his. You know, he's the frickin' dwarf that can just move shit. Right.
0: That's right. (laughs) All muscle and big hands and, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and it's finding that need. you finding that where you fit. and I talk about it all the time. There's, you know, there's an amazing thing. If you find something you're good at naturally, you're probably going to enjoy that and excel at it.
2: Yes. Because you're naturally
1: good at it. Mm -hmm. So it's like find that part of the strength thing, too. There's so many different things to do. Find that part you really are kind of good at, and you'll probably excel and push at it harder.
0: Yeah, I like that. There's another quote. I don't know who said it. Um, Mike, maybe you know or feel you've heard it before, but it, it, maybe it was a meme. But it says, you know that thing that you're, you, know, you struggle with and you're just not good at? Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> 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 now, that's different. It's a fine line, right? Working on your weakness is one thing. But for me, yeah. like me trying to play baseball – man, that's just, I'm going to do myself to a life of feeling, you know, ashamed to walk into <laughs> practice, you know?
2: So. Yeah. 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 I mean, when I was a kid, I've talked about I got hit in the face with balls because I didn't see in 3D. And I just thought some kids are horrible at sports, and that's just the way it goes. And some kids get hit in the face with balls, and that's just bad. And then I realized, oh, if you're that bad, there's probably something neurologically not Going on, that's firing 100%. But even now, when I do assessments and stuff, I'll ask them, you know, did you like playing ball sports? Can you catch a ball? Do you enjoy that at all? And if most, like 99% of the time, if they're like, no, I hated all that stuff. Like, what do you do now? Wrestling, jujitsu, lift weights, right? right? <laughs> something where you can hold on to the other person, or they're within very close proximity. Exactly. If that's true, once you're holding on to something proprioceptively. Vision's helpful but not super helpful. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to hit a fastball, then yeah, vision definitely useful there. So it can be uh almost an, an eval type thing too. And people will gravitate, hopefully, you know, towards things that they're gonna do better at then over time. Yeah, you would hope.
0: I, and I think sometimes yeah. having a a coach <laughs> like you guys, Mike, with all of your measurements and Phil with the you know, the having the facility and all these people together, sometimes it helps to have more experienced people help you minimize that time of frustration and getting devastated in something that you're just not good at. You know, Phil, you've mentioned before about people who maybe they're just strong as hell, or maybe they're, I've, I, yeah. I can't remember the exact story you told once,
1: but yeah, I have, I have one person in particular that just wanted to be a runner and it was like, yeah, you're built <laughs> like a tree trunk. <laughs> you know? And so it was just feeding them this, okay, well we can do that running thing, but you're always going to suck at it. So let's try a little of this too. And yeah, just encourage them to go the way that they like, think just they're physiologically built for can be a step
0: yeah um, just encourage them because who who would want to spend years just beating up their self-esteem instead of having somebody say listen yeah. you don't see what i see i know it's hard you're too close to it but damn you're going to be strong can you just yeah. let's just do this over here we'll just do it a little we'll do it for supportive of your running <laughs> yeah so <laughs> you know kind of yep. coax it um yeah I, I hear what you're saying mike too about like um grabbing onto things or like uh kinesthetic things I always enjoyed skateboarding you know yeah. martial arts stuff like that but man try to have me play well I'm short so basketball's going to be out of the picture but or <laughs> or like I said baseball or something like that no way just no way and I don't think there's anything wrong with going with what you're good at because that's going to build your self-esteem right you're going to have a sense of success and I think that's one of the best things about weight training powerlifting or bodybuilding because it's It's almost guaranteed to happen. If you're on any kind of logical progression, (laughs) you know, I think you're going to be better off so long as you don't hurt yourself, you know. I just, I love that sort of confidence building aspect of it. I mean, I was never the skinny little tiny kid. I was very average size and height and everything else. It wasn't like I was trying to compensate for being bullied or something. It wasn't that at all. But I was fascinated, almost like comic books, you know, like Oh, my God, you can get a little taste of that superhero, you know, like because you start getting bigger and stronger and buffer. And uh, that's that's really good for your confidence, I think. And there's nothing wrong with that,
2: you know. I don't know. And I think especially coaches of younger youth athletics, what I would love to see is them look and say, "Okay, this person is so bad there's probably something neurologically going on. So you need to go visit this person or this specialist, or, you know, maybe everything's working well, you're just not as good at that. So let's have you go try this for a period of time. Just try to negotiate and move people to different things that they're good at, I think, especially at a younger age, I think would be super beneficial instead of trying to constantly pound a square peg into a round hole. And there's some skills that I think all kids should Go through, you know, gymnastics, rolling, tumbling, you know, just developmental stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, after that stage, especially getting in towards high school, I think, you know, moving people into directions to at least try things they might be good at. I think there's a mm-hmm. huge amount of value in that instead of trying to force everyone. We had a a coach who was a cross country uh, coach. So you can imagine we did cross country running for probably three fourths of the year because he loved yeah. it. But he never told us how to run. It was just all right, you guys go run. <laughs> I'm like, there's no skill development either. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, come on. <laughs> go
1: run and don't stop.
2: Okay, yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, so. that's that's it. Huh, this is no. this sucks. <laughs> 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 yeah. oh, boy. Okay. Well, we're just about out of
0: time. I'm actually uh convalescing a little this weekend. I got my second uh, Moderna shot and I've got like mild oh. flu like symptoms here, yeah. so I it's funny, I'm just I'm slamming coffee just you know, I gotta function, I gotta operate anyway, but I'm I'm still not having a, a ball <laughs> right now.
2: <laughs> so and I had a t- client who was getting his another his second round on the 15th, so we already backed off his training for for that week ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's just it because I tend to have a, an
0: allergic response to things, and I'm thinking mm. I'm not going to walk around with angioedema, you know, lips the size of I don't know donuts or something. <laughs> um, because I induced allergy with combining it with exercise. Like I'm actually yeah. a little concerned and maybe that's irrational, but you know, I mean, exercise induced allergy is a thing, but anyway, so, all right, cool Let's stuff. Hopefully, you know what, maybe somebody on the forums can chime in if they're an extrovert and they're like, you guys are all sort of like the solo dudes. I love the community. I feed off the team. It, maybe we can even have on as a guest.
2: Yeah. I mean, real quick. I know that, some people i've lifted with especially in costa rica and other places like that's that's their thing like getting people together and just all lifting together that's what drives them and for me even with traveling and everything it's taken me probably almost two decades to drop me into that environment and be like oh this is okay you know or for years i just hated it it's like oh no can't we just lift it another time so I would like go in in the morning or go in the afternoon and no one was there and I'm oh, like yeah. oh so much better <laughs> I love empty gyms I love empty
0: gyms yeah yeah
2: okay cool stuff yeah. alright
0: everybody see you see you next week Iron Radio is accepting donations if you like what we do the professors the scientists the